it really makes me proud that our program committee selected my friend Helen Y. from Avon Lake, Ohio to be our spiritual speaker. And when I think of Helen and I thought about the introduction this morning, I was reminded of how many times when I start to get that anxiety feeling, I can hear Helen's voice saying, God loves you, and I believe it. <laughs> and I know we've all heard many times at our meetings that God speaks through other people. And for me, I know that a lot of my messages from God came from Helen's lips. And it's my pleasure to introduce Helen Y. from Avon Lake, Ohio. Good morning. I bring you good wishes from the Golden Crescent Information Service of Northern Ohio. There's a lot of my friends that are with us in spirit this morning. They gave me a fantastic send-off. I kind of envy the speakers that can get up here and can work without notes. I can't. I, I have so much to say that I can't sort through it and say all the things I need to say without keeping you here till sometime this afternoon. <laughs> and when I first came into the program, one of the first steps that I began to work on, now this is a new person, remember, was that I finally could admit that I had one or two character defects. <laughs> and I thought how nice it would be if I asked God to give me some humility. Well, when you ask things like that of God, he does answer, let me tell you. One of the ways that he's given me humility is that I can be right in the middle of saying something and my mind will go totally blank. And I have no idea what I've said previously. And if I didn't have some notes to kind of help me along, this would be a long day for us. If you don't mind, I'd like to start off with a, a prayer for all of us this morning. God, please fill us all with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I pray this in order that we may live a life worthy of you and may please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in our knowledge of you, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience while joyfully giving thanks to you. For you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and have brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Those are not my words, but the words of St. Paul. And they seem to fit here today, I thought. I read someplace that some kinds of stress can be good for us. Please, Lord, let this be one of them. (laughs) 
You don't know how grateful I am to be here today. In spite of the nervousness and the butterflies up to about here, I'm still grateful to be here. You'll understand once you've heard my story. This is not my favorite part of the program. In fact, fun-wise, it ranks somewhere down around the level of taking the fifth step. <laughs> or having root canal. <laughs> but once it's all over, it gives the same feeling of cleansing and renewal. An awareness of who I am, who God is, and the relationship that we share. It also fills me with humility, love, and deep gratitude to God and to you. In 1982, I was asked to be the spiritual lead at our Ohio area fall assembly. And as I prepared my lead, I prayed that people wouldn't see me and think what a great job I had done, but would rather see what a great work God had done in me. After the meeting, an Allen team, about 15 years old, came up, threw her arms around me, and said, Yay, God. And to me, this is something I'll never forget, it was God's way of telling me that my prayer had been answered. Here goes the nervous part. The Bible says, with God, all things are possible. It doesn't say for God. We all know that God can do anything. It says with God. To me, this means that if I cooperate with God, that all things are possible. This is where the 11th step is so vital. Improving my conscious contact with God. Asking for the, His will for me and for the courage to cooperate with his will. If I hadn't allowed him to take charge of my will in my life in step three and follow the guidance he gave, I wouldn't be up here this morning. You don't realize what a miracle it is for me to be up here. You see, I was in Al-Anon for about a year before my home group found out that I wasn't a mute. <laughs> that is a slight exaggeration I wasn't quite that bad I did speak when I had to like going around the room saying our names but even then I had palpitations cold hands and butterflies I felt like I was going to stop breathing momentarily and come to think of it, that's pretty much the way I feel right now. <laughs> I was that afraid. I still am. But I've learned over the years that these feelings, though unpleasant, won't kill me. I couldn't really share my thoughts and feelings back then. I was too afraid. So I sat and listened and learned for a year. And my group let me grow as I needed to grow. From there to here has been an 18-year journey of one-day-at-a-time steps. God had a lot of changes to make in me before he could bring me to Michigan, and he isn't finished with me yet.
because I'm still a work in progress. A few years ago, while I was meditating on the term spiritual lead, God gave me a definition just for Al-Anon. It's made up of the word spiritual itself, sharing personal inner resources is truly understanding Al-Anon's love. <coughs> love is the spirit of Al-Anon. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. I want to take this opportunity to thank you, Al-Anon, for that portion of your life that you laid down for me your time, whether it was convenient or not, your hope when I needed a lifeline, your faith to replace my fears, your love when I felt unlovable, your strength when I had none of my own, your confidence in me when I felt so inadequate, your honesty when I needed to see clearly, and so much more. Perhaps you've never thought that you could lay your life down for someone else, but in Al-Anon you do it every day. Perhaps not all at once, but piece by piece, with every smile, with every word of encouragement, with every phone call, with every hug, with every meeting, or through the many channels of service. And like the miracle of the loaves and fishes, there's more than enough to go around. The more you give away, the more you have to give. And the more you give, the greater your own blessings. Today, it is my turn to give back some of what has been given to me. For this opportunity, I'm deeply grateful, for I am very blessed. God is good to me since I've turned my will and my life over to him he has given me everything I've needed not everything I've wanted but everything I've needed through his spirit of love and Al-Anon God has worked a miracle in my life it is this miracle and my own personal inner resources that I wish to share with you today I have nothing more precious to me to give to you I only ask that you receive them with an open heart. I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, for those of you that might have picked up a little bit of a southern accent. I'm the oldest of four children. I have two brothers and one sister. I grew up being babysitter big sister and little mother to the younger children, and I loved being boss. I was a good student in school. I had responsibility instilled in me at an early age, and I worked to do my best. In a competitive exam with students from other schools, I won a scholarship to parochial high school. This only served to reinforce my opinion that I was one smart gal. I was on my way to becoming an intellectual snob, impressed with my own intelligence, and my brains were to get in my way many times in years to come. I expected a lot from myself, and in later years I extended that 
to expecting a lot from others, and I became a perfectionist. I had dreams of going to college to study art, but I set aside those dreams when my father started his own business the year that I graduated from high school, and I became his right hand, sort of a Jill of all trades. I poured my heart and my soul into the business, loving both the challenge of developing and creating it and the authority that came later. Without realizing it, I was becoming the greatest power in my life. I had a safe, secure, happy home life for the first 12 years of my life. But the year that I was 13, my parents had a violent verbal argument and the reality of their marriage ended, though they did not divorce till 18 years later. This argument destroyed our family relationships. It devastated me because I'd been a witness to the argument. <coughs> the atmosphere of the home changed from loving to more of an armed truce. It became an unhappy home. There were moments of happiness, but they were always overshadowed by unhappiness and insecurity. I loved both my parents, and I didn't want to blame either one of them for my misery, so I tried to understand what had happened between them. I thought if I could understand, then I wouldn't have to blame either one of them for my unhappiness. This pattern of understanding became a part of me, and I tried to understand why people did and said the things that they did. So I added analysis to my list of accomplishments. Can you see how well I was developing into the perfect wife for the budding alcoholic? I was 25 when I married, secure within myself that I was suitably mature. I knew my husband drank, but I'd never been around people that drank too much, and I knew absolutely nothing about alcoholism. My husband drank only beer, at least to my knowledge, and I didn't think that was too bad. But I do have to admit that for some reason it did cross my mind before we were married that someday he would have a drinking problem. And I remember very well saying to myself, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Well, cross it I did. The first nine years of our marriage were good years. Bill controlled his drinking. He had something every day, but he rarely had too much to drink. And that seemed fairly normal to me. My life centered around him. I thought that I only needed him, my family, and a few close friends, and I shut the rest of the world out. I began to make him the source of my happiness, and I was determined to be the source of his. <coughs> we had no children, though we wanted them, and after Bill's drinking became a problem to me, I wondered if perhaps this wasn't one of the reasons that he drank. Of course, it's only one of the reasons that I researched in my quest for answers. His alcoholism progressed, 
and I tried to deny the problem. I thought if I ignore it, it'll go away. Well, that's about like trying to ignore an elephant or a skunk. But one day I came face to face with reality when I found a bottle which he'd hidden. And at that time, I knew that he had a problem and I knew that he knew it because he was hiding it. I knew he was sick, but I thought his sickness was an emotional illness because when he had too much to drink, he would talk about the past, his childhood. And I thought, now there's the key. Something happened in his past, and that's what causes him to drink too much. If I can find out what it is, then I can help him to either quit or control. After all, I was trying to be a good wife, and a good wife should be able to do this for her husband. Now I know that he drank because he was an alcoholic, and it's the nature of an alcoholic to drink and get drunk. <coughs> I tried to control his drinking. I thought if I can keep him busy, he won't have enough time to drink. That didn't work. I thought if I could get him interested in a hobby, that that would help. So I went out and I bought him a movie camera and a projector. And the projector ran backwards as well as forwards so he could have fun with his movies. <laughs> he used the camera one time, the projector he's never touched. And another thing that I used to try and control, and it took me several years in Al-Anon before I recognized this, was not getting my driver's license. It was getting very difficult to get him to go places. And I knew that if I had my driver's license, I'd never get him out of the house. He would say, you can drive, you go. Our social life was practically non-existent. So the bottle went wherever we did. I began to avoid family and friends to spare myself embarrassment. Our spiritual life was deteriorating. I'd grown up in church and parochial schools. I'd studied my religion for 12 years and learned it very well. I went through all the rituals of my church and I considered myself a good member. We had gone to church together for a number of years, but bit by bit we found excuses not to go until we dropped out completely. I know today that my approach to God had been on an intellectual level. I'd never experienced him in my life. I knew who he was, but I didn't know him. I prayed at him, but not to him. He was way up there someplace, busy with more important things than me and my life. Bill's drinking continued to progress, and one day he was sent home from work in order to get help for his drinking. Well, he called AA, and he went to his first meeting. This AA's wife came over and talked to me about Al-Anon. And I listened, and when she invited me to a meeting, I very graciously declined, because after all, my husband was the one with the problem. There was nothing wrong with me. But I did go to AA with Bill. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
And at AA, I found hope for Bill. <laughs> at AA, I heard that the alcoholic has to reach his bottom. So I went home, and I proceeded to wait for Bill to reach his bottom. Well, he continued to drink, and within a short time, he stopped going to the meetings. I worked, and I fought loneliness at night by getting lost in my artwork. Bill was home because most of his drinking was done at home, but he was lost in his own private world that I could neither enter nor share. In Bill's words, the bottle was his mistress. One day, some months later, he came home from work and he was passing blood in his urine. Well, he went to the doctor and the doctor told him that it might be too late for him to stop drinking. Both of us were scared. And as far as Bill was concerned, he'd had his last drink. We went home and as the day wore on, he got more and more shaky. And at night, to get some nourishment into him, I had to put soup in one of his beer mugs so that he could take some nourishment. Three days later, he began to hallucinate. And we went through three days and two nights of hallucinations. Now, these were very real to Bill. I could see that just from his reactions. And it helped me to see alcoholism as a sickness. I had no problem at all accepting that. He was hyperactive, unable to sleep or rest, and he was all over the house. We lived in a, an apartment. It was the front part of the house, and there were three floors. And he was all over the place, and I was right behind him. <laughs> I had to make sure that he didn't hurt himself or tear something up because he came close to throwing his shoes through a window at one time through somebody he thought was breaking in and even was going to um, tear a wall down to let out a talking dog that was in the wall. I'm so glad we can laugh about it today. Back then, it wasn't too funny. God allowed me to see the humor in some of these hallucinations. And he was with me this entire time, giving me the wisdom to cope because I seemed to automatically know what to do or what to say to Bill to get him to calm down. If I hadn't been able to laugh to release some of the stress, I would have been climbing the walls. If someone had walked into our house at that time of our lives, they wouldn't have known who was nuts. Because while Bill was having the hallucinations, I was talking to them. <laughs> a few years after Bill sobered up, I heard about a man who had an alcoholic wife. And this one day, he was sitting in the living room reading his newspaper. And his wife came in and sat down on the floor next to the coffee table and proceeded to go like this. Well, he sat and he watched her for a few minutes, and he finally said, Honey, what are you doing? And she says, I'm picking bugs off the coffee table. 
Well, he sat and he watched her for a few moments more. And then he laid down his paper and he went over and he sat beside her and helped her pick bugs off the coffee table. I knew exactly how this man felt because at that time I would have done anything to have helped Bill, to help him keep calm. He was finally hospitalized and he was down to 145 pounds and they told him in the hospital that if he continued to drink he would have been dead within two weeks. When he came out of the hospital he went to AA and I went to my first Al-Anon meeting. I eagerly went to Al-Anon. I had a lot of faith in my ability to help my husband stay sober and to manage his life as well as I did my own. <laughs> my first meeting was great. Al-Anon was a wonderful program and you people really needed it. <laughs> But I was different. After all, I'd managed quite well during my husband's hallucinations and all by myself, too. I had completely forgotten God's hand in it all. But I thought if my going to Al-Anon could help him in any way, I'd be willing to sacrifice myself to do it. Isn't that noble? <laughs> About a week after Bill was released from the hospital. My father had an operation and we learned that he had terminal cancer. My parents were divorced by this time and my father had remarried. I used my dad's illness as an excuse to stop going to Al-Anon. I figured that with my exceptional brains I had absorbed sufficient wisdom from the Al-Anon group so I collected all the literature I could get my hands on and I went home to do it myself. I reasoned that I needed to spend more time with my father. I didn't have time for Al-Anon. But you know, I did have time to go to AA with Bill to make sure he was practicing his program properly. <laughs> Several months after my father's operation, my mother entered the hospital for a biopsy and had a radical mastectomy. The cracks in my life began to widen. Bill was on a dry drunk during this period, physically sober only. There were times that I wished he would drink again so I could have some peace. He was touchy, irritable, picky, miserable to live with, and I was tired of walking on eggs. This dry drunk lasted for 14 months. Don't let it scare you. It doesn't have to, just because it did for him. And then he started to drink again. My world began to crumble, and I began to be afraid. And one day we had an argument, and Bill left the house. And I was crying, and I couldn't stop. I'd never been this way before. I went all through the house trying to wash the dishes, make the bed, do something to help me stop crying. And nothing worked. Finally, I went down on my knees by my bed and I said, God help me. I can't help myself. 
That's the first honest prayer that I'd ever prayed in my life. The crying stopped immediately, and I had inner peace. God had finally gotten my attention. I ran back to Al-Anon. This time I was desperate and filled with fear. I'd come to the end of myself. My parents' cancer helped me to accept that I was not only powerless over their disease, but over Bill's disease as well. But most of all, I now knew that my life was unmanageable. At long last, I had become teachable. Al-Anon became the expression of God's loving care for me in my life, the power greater than myself. You were patient with me and loved me. You didn't force me to talk, but you let me sit and listen for a whole year. I took in all you had to say and I learned from you. What you suggested, I did. For the first time in my life, I didn't follow my own counsel, for I no longer thought that I knew best. I drew greatly from your strength. You didn't know it, but all that I was learning from you, I was taking back to my parents, who needed spiritual comfort and support. I was sharing with them all that you gave me. I began to build my life around a spiritual program. Each morning I got on my knees and I asked God's help just to get through the day. I asked to know his will for me and for the courage to be obedient to his will. This was working on the 11th step. I stopped asking for things only for help for myself, my husband, and my parents. I read the One Day at a Time book and other spiritual literature, searching to improve my conscious contact with God by meditating on what I had read, searching for truth. I made contact with another Al-Anon each day. Now for me, this was a real discipline because I had cut myself off from people and I found it difficult to call people. At night, I got on my knees and I thanked God for helping me get through the day. I thanked him for all his blessings, even those I didn't recognize. There was so much wrong in my life at this time that I had to concentrate on any good that I could find. So I literally counted my blessings each night grateful for the least little thing, the things we normally take for granted, like being able to kneel down to pray because my father no longer could. I thank God for the moment, of, any moment of sanity that Bill had during the day, any sober thought, because he was drinking around the clock. A few years later, I found a passage in the Bible that brought tears to my eyes when I read it, for I recognized how God had guided me during this time, those awful years. The passage read, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. Not for everything, but in every circumstance you can find something to be grateful for, and you may have to dig to find it, but you can find it if you'll look. Boy, did I ever feel loved when I read that. 
Another part of my spiritual program consisted of attending at least one Al-Anon meeting a week, and I went back to church, truly seeking to know God better. As Bill's drinking increased and his health decreased, Dad entered the hospital for a second operation, and a little later had a nerve block to lessen the pain that he was in. Eleven months after her surgery, my mother had a second radical mastectomy, followed by radiation and chemotherapy. I was afraid. I was afraid of losing the three people I love most in all the world. I was afraid of being alone, of having no one. And again, I found myself depressed and crying, and again I couldn't stop. But this time, I picked up the little acceptance booklet. Some of you may be familiar with it. And I read it for the hundredth or so time. And I realized that I was afraid to accept God's will. I wanted to, but I wasn't sure I could trust him. I was afraid of what his will might be. And how could I trust someone I barely knew? It was at this point that I began to examine and define the God of my understanding. I'd been taught about him in church, in school, in books I'd read. I knew what others said they believed, but what did I believe? I'd been taught that God created us in his image. He created me as a rational, logical being. Therefore, he must be a rational, logical God whether or not I was able to understand his reason or logic. I could not accept a God who was not good, loving, and wise. A God who was good, loving, and wise would not allow my husband and family, my parents, to suffer so terribly unless it was for a good purpose, that he could bring good out of it. It wasn't necessary for me to understand it was only necessary for me to trust him to do what was best for all. It was my choice. So I closed the door to understanding with my mind, and I opened my heart to trusting in faith. I prayed, and I remember it vividly. Father, I'm afraid, afraid of losing the three most important people in my life, afraid of being alone and having no one. I'm afraid that if I accept your will, that my fears will come to pass. I believe that you love Bill, Mom, and Dad, and that you love me. If I lose all three of them, I'll be alone, unhappy, and miserable. I don't know if I could ever be happy again. But with your help, I'll manage to survive and make some kind of a life for myself. I don't want to accept your will. And even though I may gripe and complain later on, right now, as an act of my will, I accept your will. And I bowed my head and said, Thy will be done. A great peace descended on me, and my tears stopped. Not a thing in my life had changed, but I had changed. I had just taken the third step. When I place my loved ones in God's hands, 
miracles happened in their lives. My parents had divorced after 37 years of marriage, only half of which they'd lived together as husband and wife. My father had remarried to a woman he'd known for years. Both parents were quite bitter toward one another. My mother had a deep resentment against the woman my father had married and couldn't let go of it. I saw my parents make peace with one another before they died and forgive one another for the pain each had caused. Both of them came to know God in a very beautiful way before they died, leaving me with beautiful memories and a grateful heart. My mother was not only able to forgive the woman my dad had married, but even though recovering from her own surgery at the time of my father's death, she volunteered to stay with his wife for several weeks until she felt able to make some decisions about her future. Now that was no small miracle. During this time of my parents' illness, Al-Anon became a source of strength and comfort for me. My husband was unable to supply this need. He was too sick himself. God used the people in the program to give me the human love and concern that I needed at this time of crisis. When we let him have control, he makes a way to give us what we need. My father and his wife lived in Akron. <coughs> it's about 60 miles away from us. And my dad was having a bad spell, and I took a leave of absence to go and help take care of him. Bill, of course, was drinking at this time, and he worked for General Motors. And General Motors was on strike this year, and I knew that Bill would have more time to drink. But when Bill had started to drink again, he'd come close to committing suicide. So it was in the back of my mind the risk that I was taking by leaving him alone. But I knew that I couldn't help Bill, and I could help my father. So after much prayer and thought, I decided to let go and let God. And as I pulled out of the driveway heading for Akron, I said, Father, take care of him. Only you can help him. I can't. My dad and I grew very close during this period, and I shared my program with him, and I also learned to give him shots for the pain. I would come home once a week on my meeting night to be with my home group, for this is where I drew my strength. I didn't even try the groups down in Akron. I had to be with people that I knew and that knew me. After a few weeks, I was called back to work, and I didn't want to leave because I was afraid my dad would die. But I returned home, and Bill was hospitalized the next day. When he got out of the hospital this time, he was totally different. He had an easy-does-it attitude. He was physically and mentally sober. And he was sober when my father died the following June. In October, after my father died, we went on vacation to visit Bill's family. And 10 minutes after we pulled in the driveway, Bill took his first drink. Needless to say, that was one sorry vacation. 
Thank God we only had a week. <laughs> we came home, we had an argument, and Bill collected his guns and got ready to leave. He said that he had something to do. Well, I was afraid that his something to do meant that he was going to kill himself. And I put my arms around him and said, I love you. Because the self-hatred that was just coming out of him, love was the only thing I knew that could fight that self-hatred. He said, let go. I said, I love you. Let go. I love you. Let go. And I looked up in his eyes, and it was not the eyes of my husband looking back at me, but the eyes of a stranger. And I said, oh, he must be in a blackout. He's not responsible. I better let him go. So I released him, and he left. In a panic, I called his sponsor, and his sponsor calmed me down and said, he'll be okay, just let him go. So I went upstairs, and I knelt down by my bed, and I prayed. I said, Father, surround him with your love and let him feel that love and know that he is loved. And I knelt there and I said, God loves you, I love you. And I tried to direct my thoughts to Bill wherever he was. I don't know how long that I knelt there repeating those words over and over, but after a while I had peace. And knowing that I had to go to work the next day, I got up and got ready for bed. And I went to bed and I said, Father, take control of my thoughts. And I blanked my mind out and just put it in God's hands and I went to sleep. I was at work the next day and Bill called. He said, the bad pennies returned. I'm going to gather my things and leave. And I asked him if we could talk first. He said, okay. Well, I went home and we talked and he told me that he'd driven all over the state during the night. Just first one way, then another. There was no reason to it at all. He was just running. He said, but you know, he said, I had the strangest feeling. I felt like someone was in the car with me the whole time. And I said, honey, there was. And I told him about my prayer. Bill drank for about two weeks. And then he was hospitalized. He's been sober physically, mentally, and spiritually nearly 17 years now. My mother fought the cancer as it spread through her body, finally dying of a brain tumor three years and one week after my father died. Bill and I each work our own program, but we also share our programs with one another. Almost two years ago, Bill became a member of Al-Anon, so we have even more to share. Sometimes I attend AA with him, and he's always attended the Al-Anon anniversaries with me. And now that he is in Al-Anon, we both attend our area's weekend, which is a smaller sized convention, and also our Al-Anon 12-step weekend. And we really enjoy those times together. We attend church together and believe in being active in our church as much as possible. We find that it enriches our programs. We pray aloud together as well as separately. 
We bring God into our problems in prayer. You can't go to bed angry when you're committed to praying together. We found we need to each seek the other's forgiveness and to forgive one another before seeking God's forgiveness. We talk our misunderstanding God into our problems in prayer. You can't go to bed angry when you're committed to praying together. We found we need to each seek the other's forgiveness and to forgive one another before seeking God's forgiveness. We talk our misunderstandings over with God in prayerful conversation while the other is listening. I might not accept what Bill tells me about myself, but I listen with an open mind when he's discussing it with God. If I'm wrong, I admit it to Bill and to God. If Bill has misinterpreted something I've done or said, then I explain it to God while Bill listens. I let God speak to Bill's heart as he does to mine. This method of communication has worked beautifully for a number of years now. We seem to cut through our own pettiness and self-will, and we get down to what's really important. And when God is in the middle of it, honesty and humility really shine forth. It's not always easy to let those barriers of hurt and anger down. And sometimes we go all the way to prayer time just before bed before we can let go and put it in God's hands. But we're both committed to not letting the sun go down on our anger. There may be a lot of tears, but we sure sleep better and we start off the new day without old resentments hanging over our head. Bill and I try not to take one another for granted. We practice courtesy and the little thoughtful things we do for one another. We're best friends. We never let a day go by without saying I love you. And when we need a hug, we ask for it. This is something I really had to learn because I used to expect Bill to read my mind. For a while, we shared sponsorship in an Alateen group, which we started nearly 10 years ago. The welfare department had called us. They had a whole family that was sick. There were about eight children in it. And we had no Alateen in our area at all at that time. So we started this group. Bill is still there to sponsor. He's great with the young people. I gave up sponsorship when I became more active in the district level of Al-Anon. I've had several offices there and I was privileged to help start our local information service and to help set up our answering service. And last year I finished my term as GR of my group. And service work has helped to restore some of my confidence and self-esteem. It's very rewarding and I urge all of you to give it a try. You sure won't regret it. Learning to live according to Al-Anon principles has been one of the greatest blessings of my life, for they apply in every area of living. A year ago this month, or yeah, a year ago this very month, I found a lump in my breast. A biopsy revealed a very aggressive, rapid-growing cancer. 
The tumor was approximately two and a half by three inches in size at that time. The doctor told me that on a scale of one to four, with four being the most serious, I was at stage three. The surgeon and oncologist agreed that the best course of treatment was to give me three months of high-powered chemotherapy, then perform a partial mastectomy, and then follow this up with an additional year of chemotherapy. Hearing that you have cancer hits you pretty hard. You come face to face with your own mortality. Believe me, nothing will help you get your priorities in order any quicker. It becomes very easy to decide between what is important and what isn't. As has become our habit, my husband and I turn to God immediately, placing everything in his hands each day. I prayed, Lord Jesus, I want to live to serve you. I learned that I wasn't afraid to die because I know where I'm going. Another thing I learned was that I had an instant inventory of my priorities, and I was pleased to discover that I had my life pretty much in order. All amends were up to date. I had no urge to alter my life to accomplish things I had put off. All the important things were being done one day at a time. This perspective of how well I had been working the program made me feel very good about myself. My greatest concern was how my illness would affect my husband and family. They'd gone through so much with my parents that I hated to cause them any more pain or worry. And I especially hated to tell Bill's mother, who was 91. I knew that it would hit her hard. We turned to our church family. Our church is a praying church, and we see many miracles of healing there, some instantaneous and some over a period of time. We believe that God heals by his own power and also that he heals through doctors and medicine. We allow him to do as he wishes. We don't limit him by telling him how we want it done. I was prayed for at church in just about every way possible lifted up to God daily by people who really know how to pray. I also shared my burden with my Al-Anon family, and I received strength and prayerful support from them as well as my church family. My walk of faith had begun. My husband was a pillar of strength, so loving and compassionate. And just as the alcoholism wasn't his disease alone, this cancer was shared by the two of us. He spent many hours just sitting and waiting while I had chemotherapy treatments. And just knowing that he was near helped a lot. We shared a lot together, and I'd like you to meet him. Bill, would you stand, please? I had no ill feelings or pain whatsoever from the cancer. The only time I ever felt sick was when I had chemotherapy intravenously at the hospital. That took between four and five hours, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Through the grace of God, I was spared most of the side effects of the chemotherapy. I did have the weakness and fatigue and severe nausea at times, and this meant two days in bed. But these feelings passed within two days, and I felt normal once again. So 
So two days every four weeks wasn't too bad. I went through the trauma of losing my hair, which was about like losing my sense of my own identity. I experienced grief. Grief for the loss of my hair and grief over the coming mutilation of my body. Grief for others who were going through the same thing that I was going through and worse. I prayed for them. I allowed myself to be human and cried when I needed to. I would ask my husband to hold me and let me cry a moment, and he always did. I knew it wasn't self-pity that I was feeling, but the tears were a necessary outlet for the stressful situation that I was in. The tears helped keep me from depression. Another thing that helped keep depression at bay was keeping my sense of humor. God in his wisdom showed me the way in his own unique manner. As my hair began to come out, I would comb it very carefully each time. Then I would cry. I thought, this is ridiculous. Tomorrow, I'm going to brush it all out, then cry once and for all and be done with it. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I brushed and brushed till there were only traces of my crowning glory. I looked at myself in the mirror, a pitiful sight. I went in and knelt by my bed, and I cried. After I finished, I prayed, Lord, I need a word of comfort from you. So I got my Bible and just flipped it open at random, and my eyes rested on these words. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. <laughs> That wasn't exactly the sort of comfort I had in mind. <laughs> but I received what God had given me. So I answered him with, Okay, Lord, when I see you in heaven, I want an accounting of all the brown hairs, of all the red hairs, and of all the gray hairs. And you know when I see my Lord face to face, I believe that he's going to hand me that accounting. God does have a sense of humor. <laughs> Bill and I took our cue from him, and we've joked about my poor pitiful head. It was not a pretty sight, but it did hold my brains together. <laughs> Tears and laughter are great stress relievers. I am happy to tell you that not once during this past year have I been depressed. Everything I had learned in Al-Anon I used to make the year as normal as possible. I found happiness and serenity in a very difficult situation, and I continued my spiritual growth. And God taught me a lot during this past year. The habit I'd formed of living one day at a time was never more appreciated. God was in charge of my treatment. The doctors were doing their part, and I had my part to play in my recovery. I had the doctor schedule my treatments around church and my Al-Anon meeting to keep as much normalcy in my life as possible. Each day was precious, and I was determined to get the most from each one. Not one of us knows if we will be given another day, so it's important that today be full. I was filled with such inner peace that I marveled. Then one day as I read my Bible, I found the key to why I had this peace. 
I want to share this with you because you will recognize it as the basis for Al-Anon wisdom. It reads, Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, let go and let God. This I have done, laying my needs before God, praying and asking Him to take care of me, and thanking Him for all His blessings. I had fulfilled the requirements. Therefore, I had His peace. The scripture went on to say, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, guard your thoughts. Don't dwell on negative things. I was very careful of the thoughts that I allowed to dwell in my mind. I knew how my mother had suffered from breast cancer. I refused myself to refuse to allow myself to even think about it. I was not my mother. When such thoughts would begin to come in, I would sing, make a phone call, or do something that called for concentration. I found that when your mouth is moving, making a joyful noise, you can't think negative thoughts. Try it. It works. Once again, I fulfilled the requirements, and the God of peace was with me. If you think about it, I was living the serenity prayer, changing the things I could think. Oh, boy. <laughs> changing the things I could change. My thoughts. I share these things with you because they will work for you too, whether living with an active alcoholic or any other crisis in your life. They work not because I'm special, but because they're special principles. Last October I had surgery. The surgeon told me that he was going to remove a third of my breast plus the lymph nodes under my arm. I went to church on Sunday, October 11th, to my Al-Anon meeting on Monday, had surgery on Tuesday, had a Bible study in my room on Wednesday, was discharged on Friday, was in church on Sunday, and back at my Al-Anon meeting on Monday. I didn't miss a thing, even with the surgery. That was God at work. My husband told me I didn't even get pale after surgery. <laughs> As it turned out, the surgeon removed only a quarter of my breast. He couldn't locate the tumor. I didn't require any medication for pain, nor did I have to do the exercises they give you after this type of surgery, because except for heavy lifting, <clears throat> I began to use my arm normally, and I had full use of it. The doctors were amazed. The pathology report came back, and out of the two-and-a-half by three-inch tumor, only a speck was found. Out of 22 lymph nodes removed, 20 of them were cancer-free. The doctor told me they weren't too concerned unless four or more were involved. My prognosis was great. 
The oncologist who gave me chemo rethought the treatment he had planned and he decided to give me six months of chemotherapy instead of one year and to follow that up with 28 radiation treatments. I should finish the radiation treatments within the next few weeks. I was supposed to have finished it last week, but I came with a radiation burn, which I was afraid of coming up here with it, but the Lord has taken care of everything beautifully. At the beginning of my illness, I heard the doctor's diagnosis and their prescribed treatments. I did not accept their word as absolute. They reckoned without God and the power of prayer and faith. These are powerful spiritual forces. I saw both doctors change the treatment they had planned. All the things that could have happened, all the side effects I could have had never came to pass. I'm glad I didn't waste time worrying. After all, Al-Anon had taught me, if you pray, why worry? Worry is a side effect of fear, and fear is the absence of faith. When I was asked to submit a tape of my lead to the committee for this convention, I was overwhelmed. To even be considered is an honor, and I thank you for honoring me. I feel the honor belongs to my whole area there because they were my teachers. I put it in God's hands and I sent my tape. A couple of weeks later, this happened. On the second night, after I had one of my chemo treatments, I was lying awake in bed. One of the side effects of the medication that they were giving me to help control the nausea was insomnia on the second night. The body's relaxed but the mind is super active. As I lay there, all of a sudden, an inner voice said to me, you will be going to Michigan. I wasn't even thinking about it. Now, I've heard God speak to me in that still, small voice before, but I never heard him tell me something that was going to happen. My first thought, I have to admit, was that the chemo had gone to my brain. <laughs> but the voice was so familiar and spoke with such firm authority that I asked, Lord, was that really you? No answer. But I had enough faith that it was God speaking that I confided to my husband and several friends that God told me I was going to Michigan. When Sue called me several weeks later to tell me the committee had selected me as a spiritual lead, I told her that God had already told me several weeks before that I was coming. <laughs> I really don't know what she thought, but I can guess. <laughs> there was a time I wouldn't have told anybody that, but anymore, I don't care if people think I'm nuts. That's all right. Why would God work this way? Well, do you remember the prayer I prayed? Lord Jesus, I want to live to serve you. I believe that God is telling me that my work for him isn't finished yet. I believe it is a confirmation of my healing. The doctors won't consider me cured until I've been found cancer-free for five years. I don't believe God wanted me to wait that long to hear the good news. 
So he told me himself in this very special way. What do you think? Now you know why I'm so very grateful to be here this morning. God has blessed me so richly, and I'm happy to be able to share it with you. I thank the committee and each one of you for being a part of God's special message to me. I feel so very loved, so very special. But to keep my head from getting too big and to help me keep me in perspective, I try always to remember this little saying. I'm not God's child because I'm somebody. I'm somebody because I'm God's child. Thank you, Alanon. I love you.